Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Bible Study. It's good to see you tonight. i take a few moments and pray, and then uh, dig into what God might say to us in the Bible here. So, Father, thank you for uh, just the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. I thank you that you're here in the midst of your people. We've gathered in your name. And so we thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, for your power. We thank you for your leading. We thank you for your insight. We thank you for your revelation. We thank you for your teaching tonight. I pray, God, that we would have ears to hear and really just be open to receive what you want to say and what you want to show us. So I pray, God, for you to lead our time, order our time. I pray, God, for your word to be strong tonight and just right to the point. I ask God, I thank you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword and that it gets right down to what matters. And so I pray for your word to be sharp tonight and to get down to what matters. And I just ask you, God, that we'd be challenged. I pray we'd be encouraged tonight. And I pray that we would leave here understanding more than what we came in with. Give you thanks. As you be glorified, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi. Or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you need a Bible, there uh, should be one located on a table near you. Feel free to grab one off the table. This week we received a SpeakPipe message. Uh, always exciting when we get one. So we got one uh, from our friends in Senegal. It's uh, Shea UCF in Ziggenshore, Senegal. That's what they call their, uh, their place over there. Uh, Tom and Lori, uh, they had gone out uh, to celebrate a birthday the other night while they were out at a fancy hotel celebrating one of the birthday people in their kinship. They're having some coffee and some uh, ice cream or something and some juices. They recorded us a message. And so I'll play the message for you uh, that they have for us. Okay. Hi, Tom and Lori. Uh, 
This is Tom. However, this is Saturday Night Kinship. We all like to say hi to you. Yeah, bonsoir, Andy. Zuber, Nyankatawi. Bonsoir, Yusef. Just bonsoir. Let's go. Andy, Marta, La Group, bonsoir. On est ici au Péroké. Et on est très content aujourd'hui. C'est la fête. Bonjour, Aïdi. Hey, we're right next to the the Casamance River enjoying soda and coffee together. Bonsoir, Tuleman. See you soon. Peace out. Okay, bye. 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 <laughs> Alright, so that was from our friends in Senegal, Tom, Lori, uh, Gilbert, uh, Mr. Chat was in there. Um, who else did you, did you know, Samantha? Hmm? There are a number of people, so uh, just uh, anybody speak French? <laughs> you pick up any of that? What did they say? Good evening. Yeah. General greetings. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the time will be back uh, coming up pretty soon. So, we look forward to seeing them, and it's always good to hear from people. Thank you, Tom and Lori, for sending that along, and thank you to your kinship that meets on Saturday night for sending that along, and uh, we do appreciate it. Isaiah chapter 42, I need a volunteer to read verse 4. All right, thanks. Again, we're looking at prophetic literature, uh, book of Isaiah. Isaiah spends quite a bit of time uh, speaking forward toward the Messiah and toward the one that would come. And so we know the Messiah is being fulfilled, these prophecies being fulfilled through Jesus, through Christ. And so this is another example of that, how a prophetic word uh, that was given hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born physically uh, that he fulfilled that during his life and during his ministry. Uh, the reason that's important to us isn't so much for his predictive quality. In other words, we're seeing this thousands of years later, and so it, it's kind of neat to look at some of the prophecies and say, oh, wow, he said that hundreds of year, years before Jesus ever walked the earth, and there's a certain faith-building quality to that. But in addition to that, the reason it's important is because it begins to give us even more insight and it gives us even more insight as to who Jesus is. It gives us more insight as to his ministry. It gives us more insight into his personality, more insight as to what he was facing, what he was doing, part of the purposes that he was fulfilling on the earth. And so it broadens our view, it broadens our understanding of Jesus. And so these prophecies are, are interesting on more than one level. One, they're interesting because of what they actually say and what they were fulfilled as, but also interesting in the sense that it shows us something more. And it gives us a little bit something more in depth uh, to, to have a bigger and better understanding of who Jesus is, what the gospel is all about. Last week we talked about the gospel, and we looked at the gospel through the lens of the prophetic word that was given about it, 
and it broadens our understanding of what the gospel is, what the good news is, what that really means and what that can mean in our lives now. So again tonight, we're looking at this uh, through that broader lens of, yeah, this is great. It predicts something about Jesus. It predicts something that would take place hundreds of years later. And so there is a faith-building quality to that, but it also broadens our view of Jesus a little bit and gives us a, a better understanding, gives us a better view of Him, maybe adds something to what we've picked up in the past or adds something to what we've seen in the past. And so that's my prayer tonight is that it will begin to even enhance and, and really bring about a, a bigger and better view of Jesus through what's being said here. Uh, so somebody look at Matthew twelve seventeen. Here you see the direct fulfillment of this. So Isaiah 42, 4, uh, and then directly, there's direct fulfillment here, Matthew 12, 17. Someone read that, please. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant who I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. All right, thanks for reading that. Now, Matthew, uh, if you look through the Gospel of Matthew particularly, it was written to uh, Jewish believers. And so Matthew takes great care in throughout his, his letter, throughout his epistle, throughout his book, to uh, point out times when Scriptures are being fulfilled. So in other words, he, he will show something, he will say something, and then he will say, and this is to fulfill X, Y, or Z. And it's because of the people that he's writing to. Now, you don't see as much of that, say, in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is being written for a different purpose and to a different audience by a different person. Uh, and you look at some of the other Gospels. That's why Matthew is the most primitive of the Gospels and has less detail than some of the other Gospels. As the Gospel of John, written to a church that was already being established and contains more spiritual insights in it. And, and, and tends toward a more spiritual view of what's going on and what's happening. So each of the Gospels provides us with a lens, so to speak, of, of how the writer and, and saw things and really who, the, who it was written, being written for specifically. So Matthew, you're going to see a lot of this was to fulfill. You're going to see a lot of Old Testament quotes. You're going to see a lot of times where they point something out, Matthew points something out about Jesus and then says, okay, well, this was, this was said here or there, or the prophet said this, or the book of whatever said that. And so that's what you're seeing happening here. So Isaiah 42, 4, if you read the whole context of what is around that verse, you see that being again quoted Matthew 12, 17, directly, this is a fulfillment, Jesus directly fulfills Isaiah 42.4, according to the Gospel of Matthew. Now, what I want to really concentrate on it has more to do with this idea of Jesus and, and something about His nature, something about who He is. And I, and I want to look at who He is based on these verses, because these verses give us a, a little more flavor into that. It gives us a little more insight into that. One thing we do know about Jesus is that his life, in his life, he would face a lot of potential for discouragement. 
What do I mean by that? Well, things didn't always go his way. Things weren't always the, the best or, or what we would consider to be the best of circumstances or outcomes that he was facing in his life. And so uh, there was a room for discouragement. You think about what discourages you. What, what gets you all down? What gets you all discouraged? And, and part of that has to do with expectations. Part of that has to do with circumstances, time, whatever it is. And, and yet Jesus, you look at Jesus and you see the things that he faced. You see the place that he lived. You see the things that came his way. There was room for discouragement. He didn't start his ministry, ministry until he was 30 years old. And there's a lot of life between 0 and 30. Right? Some of you are still between zero and thirty, maybe one of you, two of you. But you know, you think about that, and it's like there's a lot of life between zero and thirty, and and Jesus just lived that life, whatever that was. Uh, father's a carpenter; he was likely trained as a carpenter, a carpenter's son, so he was uh, in the building trade. You, you look at someone's life living in that part of the world at this time; things weren't easy. His father at some point died, and and so the family was left without the the head of the household there, and and that was important during those times also. A little different than the way that we live now, and so that was significant, a significant happening for his father to pass away while he was growing up at some, some point. And then even after he's 30, he starts doing what he's doing, and there were times that people received his message and times that they didn't. And you realize that? And, and you, you have to read the Gospel to get an idea of what was actually happening, but you know you can't romanticize what Jesus was facing when He was traveling around doing His ministry because there were sometimes people just couldn't get enough of what He had to say. There were other times they didn't want to hear what He had to say. He had whole groups of people that were following Him around trying to get Him to trip up. They were trying to trick Him into answering questions in an inappropriate way so that they could accuse Him of something. And so he had guys coming after him that way. He had uh, people that loved him, people that didn't want to hear it. And people that were challenging him, challenging his authority, challenging the things that he said. So he, he faced circumstances. He faced situations. He's in the midst of a people that are, are finicky at best. And he had a lot of potential, he faced much that could have discouraged him along the way. I mean, even his own disciples didn't seem to pick up on what he was saying, did they? <coughs> and if you read like some of their questions, I mean, if you ask somebody, if you're talking to somebody and you stop what you're saying and you look at them in the face and you say, are you so dull? Okay, that, which is what Jesus did with the disciples. That, that's a moment where you kind of realize that they're just not following, right? They're not following along. It's like, well, all right, here's A, B, C, and D. And they look at you, well, what was that, Z? And he said, well, are you so dull? You didn't hear what I just said? So how frustrating is that? You got guys following you around for, what, two years, two and a half years, three years, and they're still not getting what you're saying? They're the ones you're turning everything over to also. They're going to be the ones, and they're not understanding it. They're not getting it. They're not following along. So, so there's a lot of there's a lot of, of potential for discouragement that you see in the life of Jesus. But here's what these verses tell us: 
about Jesus. If you go to Isaiah 42, 4, that's what this verse tells us. Number one, Jesus does not grow weak. He doesn't grow weak. We grow weak. I grow weak. We all grow weak. Jesus didn't grow weak. In other words, He's not feeble. He's not lacking in strength. And in the the illustration of a light or a lamp, He doesn't burn dimly. That's not His his way. That, That He will not fail. You see, we fail. He doesn't. We grow weak, he doesn't grow weak. And what that fixed to, what that, that really speaks to in us is the idea of, of courage. That he is courageous. And so when he faces adverse situations, he faces things that he comes across that could discourage him. He faces things that could stand against something that he was trying to get done, something that he was trying to get through. The Bible tells us in this prophetic word about him, is that he's not weak. Now, does that mean he's not humble? No, he is humble. Humility is part of his life, but that humility, that him being humble isn't a weakness. In fact, he turned that to his strength. And so he doesn't get weak because he faces opposition. He doesn't get weak because he faces discouragement. He doesn't get weak because he faces things that he would rather see a different way. That didn't make him weak. It didn't make him feeble. That word feeble is, is kind of interesting. It just means to be lacking in strength. But it's a marked lack of strength. In other words, somebody who is feeble, something that is feeble, is something that is set aside, recognized, and known by everyone to lack strength. He's not feeble. In fact, he is very strong, not growing weak, and courageous in what he believes and what he knows is going to happen. And I believe it's part of this that God calls us to. Because part of the word over us is that we're Christians. That's the word we use. And they were first called Christians in Antioch in the book of Acts. Well, that word, it means to be Christ-like. And so the idea behind that was that there's this group of people that are being changed, that are participating in a process in their lives whereby they're being transformed more and more and more into the image of Christ. Now, what's good about that is that it's a process. What's good about that is that even if it is quick or slow or it goes through fits and it goes through times where it's not moving so fast or however it goes, that those times and that process is a continual process as long as we're in a relationship with Jesus. So even if you get frustrated with the progress that you're making in your relationship with Him, the progress that you're making in being made more and more Christ-like. And if you get frustrated in that, the process hasn't quit on you. The process continues. And so you can be sure that as He began this good work in you, as the Bible says, He has begun a good work in you, He shall complete it, even unto the day of Christ Jesus. Well, this is that good work. And so as part of that good work, we see in Him that He is not someone 
that is weak and growing weak when it comes to the work that he's called to, he's going to see it through, including you and including me. That if he's begun that good work in us, he's begun that good work in you, he's begun that good work in our lives, that he is going to see that through. So that gives you a certain amount of confidence that even if things slowed down, even if things seems like, oh, I was making progress, making progress, oh, I haven't been making progress for a while. Even if things have slowed down in your spiritual walk, he hasn't given up. He hasn't lost courage in you. You may have become discouraged. You may have lost courage in yourself. And you may have lost courage even in the process. And yet, He hasn't. And so that tells you something about Him. But what that tells you about Him is that you, you can count on Him regardless of how you feel about it. Like, well, I just don't know anymore. Well, He does. I don't feel it anymore. Well, He does. I don't know what's going to happen. He does. I just don't have any more strength to carry on. That sounds a little dramatic, but He does. He has strength. And so, He doesn't grow weak. He doesn't burn dimly. He doesn't become feeble in the process that He has started. His purpose is fixed. And you see that in his life. You read the Gospels, you look at Jesus, and there are times, even in the Gospels, where it says, he fixed his face toward Jerusalem. In other words, he, he just said himself, that's where I need to go, that's what I need to do. He put himself in that direction, and he went and he did it. Well, he does that in your life too. He sets his face toward whatever it is, the purposes in your life that he has. And and the, the reason I can say that with confidence, and, and we have to think of him this way, and, and I hope you can really begin to take hold of this, is that because he's been glorified, because he is in the heavenlies, because he is is where he is now, he can pay you that kind of attention all the time. You know, we get this thing in our head, well, I don't want to bother him, you know, with my life or what's going on. I'm sure he has better things to do. He doesn't. He can do everything all the time, so he has nothing better to do than help you out. He has nothing better to do than watch over you. He has nothing better to do than speak into your life and move in your life and help you grow up, help you get mature in Him, help you be more like Him. He has nothing better to do. And that's part of Him as an eternal being. That's part of Him as an infinite being. That's part of His omnipresence. Is that He's everywhere all the time, so He can be doing that in my life, but He can be doing that in your life too. So, philosophically, He always has time. Philosophically, He always has power. He always has purpose for you individually. He always has strength. He always has courage when you don't. So philosophically, you can always look to Him in this situation and know that He's moving forward on your behalf, regardless of how you feel about it. We have a snapshot of Him living the life that He lived, recorded in the Gospels. And we see that as part of His personality. That's who He is.
But we need to now apply that to his ministry in our lives today. If that's who he is, that's who he is. If that's who Isaiah says he is, that's who he is. If that's what he showed us through the Gospels, well, that's who he is. If that's what's been demonstrated in our lives, that's been demonstrated through the writings of the different Gospel writers, the evangelists, then that's who he is. And that's who he is in your life today. That's who he is in your life right now. And so whatever his purpose is, it's fixed. It's fixed. And he will pursue it with a steadiness and an ardor until it's done. That's what he does. That's what he did when he walked the earth. That's what Isaiah speaks of him. That's who Isaiah says that he is. And that's what he's doing in our lives now. You need to begin to see it that way, though. And then when I started off, I said, now what Isaiah is going to help us do is begin to have a fuller picture of him. But we need that fuller picture in our own lives so that we have a bigger, better expectation of what he wants to do. Because I believe that's what he wants to do. That's part of his purpose that he's pursuing with a steadiness and an ardor or a fervor, a passion. That's what that means. Until it's done. Until it's done. So go back to that verse. He who has begun a good work in you shall complete it even unto the day of Christ Jesus. And maybe it doesn't go at the pace you're thinking it would go at. I don't know. Maybe it hasn't gone at the pace that you thought it was going to happen at. I don't know. I can't answer that. I can say this, that he's ready, willing, able, strong enough, has a fervor and an ardent purpose, an ardent purpose in your life to see those purposes fulfilled. If there's any sabotage going on in our lives, most likely that has to do with us. Most likely that has to do with us being distracted. Most likely that has something to do with us. And even we, when we distract, or we, when we, we get distracted, or we, when we get discouraged, or we, when we give up, it doesn't change the fact that He shall complete the work He's begun in you. So that work can pick up anytime. That work can 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 you know pick up speed, momentum, whatever you want to think of it as in your life at any point and at any time. It's never too late. It's never been given up on. It's never been abandoned. It's never been just left behind. That's just not who he is. He he doesn't grow weak or feeble when it comes to his purposes in your life. And so, regardless of your feebleness, regardless of your weakness, He isn't weak. And He isn't feeble. And so, He is willing, ready, and able to move forward in strength and courage right now. Now, the second thing we see about Jesus in... He doesn't grow weak. The second thing I want you to, to hear about Jesus in this passage is that He doesn't lose hope. He never loses hope. You lose hope. I lose hope. He doesn't lose hope. You know, we, we think of ourselves and we're kind of fickle sometimes. 
you know, we have hope as long as we have hope for, right? He's like, yeah, we're moving forward. Yeah, yeah, something happens. Oh, well. Well, he's not like that. He's not fickle. He, he's, he's not really, uh, he doesn't get disheartened like we do. And, and it's something when you get disheartened, when you get, when you get kind of, kind of upset and, and, and you lose hope in your life, it, the, the words there, if you look at the, the meaning of the words, the idea is to, he doesn't, we, we, when we get disheartened, the, the picture you have there is somebody being crushed. We get crushed. And that, that's this, we get disheartened. We just get crushed right where we are. We get crushed in our emotions. We get crushed in the place that we're at. But he doesn't get crushed. You know, you look at him and he, he's not disheartened, and, but he's resolute. And, and what resolute means is to be constant and to be loyal. And that's really who he is. He is constant and he's loyal. And the idea behind this not losing hope is that he doesn't get discouraged. And that word discouraged in this passage here, literally, it literally just means, really simply, to be broken. To be broken. And so, what we have is a contrast going on between our lives and who we are, that we lose hope, our lives, who we are, we get disheartened or crushed. Our lives, we get discouraged and broken. And yet, we have one who is resolute in all of that, who is constant and who is loyal and who doesn't lose hope. There's a, a word picture here of standing and, and seeing an enemy. And and they're looking at the enemy, and the enemy just looks overwhelming. And I don't know. I watched sports. I played a lot of sports when I was growing up. And uh, and in watching sports, you see happen sometimes when you're you're watching a game. And I don't care what kind of game it is, basketball, football, whatever it is. And there comes a point where one team begins to dominate the other team and it's like a waterfall that you see them become more and more discouraged and there's a moment in a game where you see a team just give up. It's like they just, they're crushed. They're broken and that's the end of it. That's all there is to it. When I run road races, one of the things I learned running a road race if I want to pass somebody, I don't want to come up on them slow and just kind of run along beside of them and just pass them at whatever pace I'm going because they will keep up with you, all right? What you want to do is you want to come up on them, get a burst of speed, and go past them fast because you want to crush them right then so they're not just running with you for a while because you'll end up using more energy having them pursue you right beside you than you would just running by them fast and just crushing them right off the bat. Does that sound terrible? It's how it's done, though. I mean, I'm just... I'm just, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. The aggressive move, all right? Crush them. 
All right. Anybody that's ever run, anybody here is a runner? You're running a race. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah absolutely, right? Yeah. Yeah, right then. Right then. Yeah, because otherwise you're just, you're just asking, asking for trouble. All right? So on the other side of that, we're the one getting passed sometimes, all right? And that person just flies by us and it just crushes us, all right? Eh, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> and we just keep going along and we do whatever we're going to do. Well, we have one with us, though, who, who doesn't get discouraged like that. We get discouraged like that. We have one with us who doesn't get broken like that. We get broken like that. He doesn't. And so when we look at that, it's like, all right, well, I just got passed. I'm broken. Well, okay, maybe, but he's not. And so we can't, here, here's what I'm trying to say about him. And I, and I hope you can understand this. Do not make him into a mini you. Okay? Don't make Jesus your mini me. Because he's not. He doesn't carry your same weaknesses like that. He doesn't carry your same limitations like that. At this point in all of, of eternity, he, he's, he's been glorified. And... And there's something different about him now, and there's something beyond that which which we can even truly take full understanding of or fully hold of. But to not make God in your own image is an important step of faith for you and for me. That we're not going to make him with our weakness, because he doesn't have our weakness. And so when it comes down to it, and we're in that situation where, all right, we're crushed, all right, we're broken, we're discouraged, we've lost hope, we're disheartened. Don't assume He is, because He's not. Don't assume He's reacting to you the way you feel. Well, who'd want to help me? He does. Who, who, who would have patience to, to work with me? I already messed it up. No, He does. He's not on your page like that. I mean, He's all for you and He's, he's out to help you, but He's not living in your little nightmare. Okay? He's just not. He sees things in a much bigger picture and He's there to help you. Not, not to keep you in your track of, of, of hellish reality. In fact, He's ready to help you out of that and into something that is better. You know, anytime you think that, well, who would want to help me? Jesus. Shut down that devil sound that, that says that stuff to you. Because that's what that is. Because if your enemy can keep you hopeless, and that is a hopelessness, and keep speaking that hopeless garbage into your ear, into your heart, into your mind. He just keeps speaking hopelessness, hopelessness, hopelessness. Yeah. Who's going to try? But the fact of the matter is there's always hope. The fact of the matter is there's one that is with you, closer than a brother that has all kinds of hope. He's got hope in, and he's got spare hope just for you. He's got enough hope to go around. And he doesn't get disheartened. And he doesn't get discouraged. He doesn't get crushed. He doesn't get broken. But he's constant. And he's loyal in your life. 
more loyal than you are, more constant than you are, because he's not a mini you. He he's more loyal than you. Okay, he's more loyal than the the most loyal person that you can think of, man or beast. Jesus is more loyal. He is. He's more resolute. He's he's more uh, he's more constant than anything that you can think of. That He is not fatigued. He is not discouraged with you at all. At all. That's you speaking, not Him. He is not discouraged with you at all, and He's ready and willing to help. The other idea, and and this is a, a little bit broader. I'm trying to make this a little broader. The other idea that you see being presented here in the wording is that He doesn't move too slowly, Neither does he move too fast. He moves at whatever pace he's going to move at. And that's just the way it is. That's his choice. That's what he does. That's what he does. For years I drove an ambulance. I was an EMT up in North Syracuse. And there's a certain rhythm to driving the ambulance, especially at night. I worked a lot of overnights. Uh, I didn't mind doing the overnights. It fit into my schedule because I'm here during the evenings and I had things I did during the day. Uh, At the time, I was over at SU doing whatever. And so the overnight seemed to work the best for me. So I work overnight. So there's a rhythm to working overnight. Uh, and there's a certain time that everybody's up, change of shift, talking, kind of sharing stories, what's going on. You do a rig check. You get done with all of that. You sit down, you watch a little television. And then at a certain time, it's not written anywhere. Nobody says anything. It's just a rhythm. Y'all go to bed. So you get up, you go to bed. And then, in the middle of the night, if the alarm sounds, and it's super loud, and the lights all come on, because it's automatic, you get up, and you make your way downstairs, and there's a whole check you go through, there's a whole thing, you get on the road, and you get out to your call. Now, depending on the call, you move a little bit faster, a little bit slower, don't tell anybody I told you this, but you do. Because the nature of the call demands one thing over another. You drive differently depending on the call. In the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning, do you need a siren? Probably not. There's nobody on the road. Okay, so there's, there's a rhythm to that. There's a way that it's done. Like, I remember one night I was uh, driving. This happened more than once, but I remember one in particular. I was driving, and I'm, I was always to the rig first as a driver, Back in the old days, they didn't have the GPS screen. There wasn't a computer in it. There was a big notebook. All right? And you had to hear what the address was and remember it when they said it over the radio. And so you'd open this book and you'd look where it was in the book. And I mean, it was this thick because we had a huge district. So you'd look up the address and there would be step-by-step directions on how to get to every address in our district. And so I had to get down there earlier so I could open the book, if I didn't know where it was, to open the book, get to the address, look at it, memorize it, short-term memory, 
Close the book, put it away, because the medic is going to need that space for something else. So I get down and do that, and then they get down there, set themselves up, and then we hit the road. All right. There's one night I was slow. Why was I slow? I have no idea why I was slow. I was just slow. Got down there, checked it out, put everything together, and then left. We're probably 30 to 45 seconds out, you know, off the pace, leaving. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot, but it is. When, when you're on a certain pace and you're doing a certain thing, it's, it's, it's a lot of time. And, and so we're pulling out. The medic's yelling at me. He's like, you know, somebody could be dying. And I'm like, thanks a lot, buddy. Okay, yeah, I get that. Yelling at me. You know, you understand what I'm saying? And I'm like, yeah, I understand that, but whatever, we're on the way, so we're going. So we're heading down the road, and as we're heading down the road, we had to pass, there's this, uh, this underpass and, and with exits coming down on it, and a tractor trailer, I mean, seriously, I could barely see it, but it was up ahead of me enough, barreled through a red light, didn't even stop, just went straight through that red light and then slammed on the brakes about halfway through the, you know, like right in front of where I was. All right? And I thought to myself, and, and I don't know what the timing was, and it could have been this, it could have been that, whatever. I thought to myself, good thing I was running a little bit late. Because that guy probably fell asleep or whatever happened to him, but that stuff like that would happen all the time at night because it's like, oh, dark 30. You know, and people are... It's unnatural to be running around that time of night. But just really super thankful. It's like, I'm glad I wasn't there. And maybe I'm 30 seconds behind, but I'm at least going to make it. And so I want to encourage you that we have a hard time sometimes with time thinking, well, I'm running late. Well, are you? Or maybe you're just on time. Who knows? I don't know that. And I suppose I could share with you a time, I, you know, rolling up on a car one time. Again, I was running late. The car exploded before we got there. I'd have been 20 feet away from it if I'd have gotten there on time. So uh, I want, I just, I'm just sharing this because I think sometimes when we start to think about time in too rigid a fashion, that we forget that there's time, like TikTok time, and then there's timing. And timing, to me, is a lot more important than TikTok. At least in, in my personal experience. Because even if I've been a little bit late TikTok, my timing might have been right and whatever needed to happen takes place. Or sometimes I'm a little bit early TikTok, but I'm in the right place at the right time to speak into somebody's life because I have a couple minutes before everybody else gets there. TikTok, TikTok is good, but I believe timing trumps TikTok time. Follow me? All right. So Jesus, and part of what we see in this bigger picture that's being presented in Isaiah chapter 42, He's all about timing. He's all about it. He's not too slow. He's not too fast. He's on time. Not TikTok. Timing. Now, how does that affect you? Well, if you got a time set in your head, TikTok, oh, this needs to take place in the next two weeks. What if it doesn't take place in the next two weeks? Oh, now I'm bitter and upset. Yeah, well, that, that's, not, that's not where he's at. 
Oh, it's got to take place in the next year. Well, maybe it doesn't take place in the next year. Maybe it doesn't. This has got to happen today. Well, what if it doesn't happen today? What if it doesn't? You know, I, to put ourselves in a situation where we we don't allow for His timing in our life is to put ourselves in a situation just to get frustrated a lot. A lot. People get frustrated God. Why? Well, He didn't do it according to my schedule. Yeah, well, that's kind of how it goes, right? I mean, you know, we have all these expectations of God. He's just going to do whatever we, we tell Him to do. We're going to pray it in faith and He's going to do it. I can't even get my cat to come to me when I call my cat, alright? I'm not going to get God to do whatever I want. I can't. He's a lot smarter than my cat. Alright? Just because I called him and said, hey, I want you over here now, doesn't mean he's coming. It's his timing. It's his timing. Slow, fast. His time. And learning to flow in his time, to me, is an important growth factor for us as his followers is learning to flow in that timing. Uh, anybody that's ever been overseas with me, uh, I don't know how to explain this. Maybe somebody that's been with me can explain it to you, but there's certain times I'm moving with a purpose, and there's certain times I'm barely moving at all. And there's certain times we got to be somewhere at this time, and there's other times, mm, not so much. And time and time again, we're in the right place at the right time. And learning to flow with Him like that puts us in the right place at the right time. And that's a lot more important. So your day, and I want to encourage you this way, is to learn how to flow with Him in His timing. I want to encourage you toward that. That means you practice that in your day. You practice flowing with Him. You practice moving with Him. You practice being with Him in His timing and learn to flow. I think it's a major, major, major point of growth in our lives in Him if we can move in Him with His timing. I really do. Third thing. Okay, the first thing. Jesus does not grow weak. Second thing. Jesus does not lose hope. Third thing, according to Isaiah 42, Jesus does not give up. He doesn't give up. He finishes what He sets out to do. And you can say, Andy, but I gave up. Yeah, but He didn't. I gave up a long time ago. He, he still hasn't given up. He's not giving up. He doesn't give up. Isaiah 42 tells us that about Jesus is that He's not one who gives up. He finishes what He sets out to do. The quit is not in Him. There is no quit in Jesus. No quit. There is no quit in Him. The quit is in us. That's where the quit is. Not Him. We've got the quit. He doesn't have the quit. And I believe God... Jesus is in the business 
is in the business of putting you in situations that will help you become mentally tougher. To begin to get rid of the quit in you. Because there is a mental toughness that is directly related to quitting or not. So he has no quit. The quit has more to do with us. So the word that's used here, the picture we have, has to do with what is referred to as his zeal, the zeal of the Lord. And so the zeal of the Lord is what's being described here in Jesus in that he's going to finish what he sets out to do and he's not going to quit. That includes you. That includes me. That includes our lives is that he is set out to do something in us. He's set out to accomplish something in us. He's set out to change us. He's set out to work in our lives and he's not going to quit. He has no quit in him. You're stubborn. He doesn't quit. You're pathetic. He doesn't quit. You give up. He doesn't quit. You lose hope. He doesn't quit. You become discouraged. He doesn't quit. All those things that that we as people face all the time, that we fight all the time, all the stuff that... That, that comes against like those purposes and those plans being done in and through us. He doesn't quit. He could have, but he doesn't. He faced all kinds of things to discourage him when he was walking the earth as a human being. He, he faced all kinds of things that could have, could have set him back. He didn't quit. He doesn't quit. That's why it's important to understand Isaiah 42. That we understand something else about Jesus here is that He doesn't quit at all. But His zeal will never, ever fail. So what's He zealous for? You. That's the most, uh, that, that's the, the, probably the closest word I can give you tonight. This is the, the word that is closest to you right now is that His zeal is for you. And I'm saying that's all it's for, but it is for you. And you can receive it like it's just for you, but it's for me and you and, and all of us. But He'll give you that individual attention tonight. That zeal is for you. Really, he, He's not going to give up. He's not going to quit. He doesn't quit on you. Remember, He has no quit in Him. The quit is in us. The quit's in you, not in Him. And so, you know, you get this idea in your mind, oh, well, God must have given up on me. Nope. Oh, he must, have just, he must be sick of dealing with me. No, He's not. He doesn't want to deal with me anymore. Yeah, He does, actually. He doesn't give up. That's you. You know, in other words, stop making the mini-me God. That's you, not Him. There's no quitting him. So, but I messed it up really bad. Right, he's still there. No quit. He's going to keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. 
That's just his nature. That's why it's important you understand Isaiah 42. That is his nature. And he will be true to his nature. You can count on it. You can count on it. So at the end of this verse, it talks about the islands. <laughs> and in the islands, what he's talking about is is he's talking about or the isles? I don't know what your version says. What does your version say? Island? Yeah. The, what he's talking about there is the far off, unknown, and the foreign. Okay? And, and he's talking about basically the Gentile world. And what this passage is saying, and it gives reference to that the Messiah, that Jesus is going to be a Messiah, he's going to be an anointed one for not only the Jewish people, but also for the Gentiles too. And it's one of those verses that you see, and there's a few of them in the, in the literature, the prophetic literature that talk about Jesus. This is one of those verses that talks about and gives us this idea, it's like, well, he's going to be for everybody. Even all those places we don't know about, all those people that we don't even know about, all those people that we have no idea about, he's for them. Not just for the Jewish people, but for the whole world. Even those islands we don't know anything about. And it, again, that's basically talking about the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, the rest of the world. Like, we're all included. It's like when God's prophesied, He said to Abraham, through your seed, Jesus, the whole world will be blessed. Not just the Jewish people, but the whole world will be blessed. This is another one of those verses that talk about that, that they were all speaking toward this, but people were so blind to it, they couldn't see it. But then going back, retrospect, they look at a verse like Isaiah 42 and verse 4, and they say, oh yeah, he said it right there. It's for everybody. Even for the islands, even for way people we don't even know yet, this is for and so that's the, the word that we have. So let's look up a few verses here. Uh, Matthew 12, Matthew 12, 21. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Thanks. The nations. But again, who's Matthew written to? What did I say at the beginning here? The Jewish people. Right. So why would Matthew include that? Well, because what he's saying is he's bringing forth this idea to a Jewish audience that Jesus, in his name, the whole world is going to call on him, including non-Jewish peoples. All right, so he's making sure they have a better understanding, making sure they have a better insight as to what he's saying there. Somebody look at Romans 8.22. Keep going. All right. If you read that, 
what's, what's groaning? What's waiting? What is looking for Jesus? What is it? The whole creation. Not just part of it, not just a certain select few, not just a, a certain people from a certain tribe, from a certain family descent, but the whole of creation. The whole world. The whole world. Last verse, Ephesians 2.17. Far away, like the islands, and those that were near, like the people of Jerusalem. All right? And so what this speaks to, it speaks that, well, who is this for? Well, it's for everybody. And I really believe, and, and I'm going to give you this, I really believe that there's a dissatisfaction that is growing. Now, I know if you look at the polls, they all talk about people are leaving behind organized religion or people are leaving behind the concept of God or whatever it is. You know, I mean, you look at the Zogby poll or whatever. I, I firmly believe, prophetically, however, regardless of the polls, that we're entering times where there's a dissatisfaction with self-religion. I just really believe that. I believe there's a growing dissatisfaction with people just making stuff up. And because of that dissatisfaction, in, in their day you'd think about idols or gods or, or whatever, but it's just anything that we make up that's supposed to do something but really fails is unable to help us or fulfill us. And we reach a point where you can only fool yourself for so long and you realize, like, well, this thing that I thought was going to be the answer isn't really doing what it was supposed to do. It's not really happening. And whether that takes place over a generation or two or it takes place in a number of years in our own lives, something that we come to a realization of, I have no idea. But what I'm seeing is, and this is prophetically seeing something, is that there's a growing, growing, growing dissatisfaction with this whole self-religion. And that there's got to be something better. And there is. There is. That we have a Savior... We have Jesus. And Jesus doesn't grow weak. He doesn't lose hope. And He never, ever gives up. I don't know that can be said by anyone or anything else in the universe. But it can be said about Him. Now, we need to start believing it and actually living it. Because to me, that's our testimony. We need to live it. It's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live in such a confidence, to live in such a peace, to live in such a joy that we're in relationship with someone like that. To actually live in it. That 
speaks volumes. So just going to take a few minutes. I just want to pray for us. Just in uh, a real simple prayer too. Just to pray and and just to, we just live this. Jesus, I thank you that uh, you love us so much. And I thank you that you care for us so much that you, you look at each of us and you give each of us all this attention. It's your will and it's your purpose. And I thank you, God, that you're strong and courageous. And I thank you that you never give up. I thank you that no matter what comes our way, no matter what decisions we make, you still don't give up. That however much we get stalled out or, or, or maybe we're stagnant somewhere, you still don't give up. And I thank you, Lord, that that you set your face toward the purposes that you have for our lives. That when we're weak, you're strong. Thank you for that. Thank you that when we lose hope, you're full of hope. Thank you when we get discouraged, you're full of courage. Thank you that if you feel dead inside, you're full of life. Overflowing. So Lord, tonight I I pray that we we would actually take you at your word. We take you for what you have revealed and what's been revealed about you. And that we just live it. Boldly confidently live it joyfully peacefully live it because I give you thanks that there's no louder testimony than our life so have your way God I pray we find our rest we find our joy Find our peace in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's be by saying amen. Amen. All right. Good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool. You mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community dad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University... UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.